welcome to episode 181 of Explode, your expert business show. Here's Simone Vincenzi, co-founder of GTEx, and I'm really excited for uh, this show because uh, today I'm going to interview uh, Nick Bolton, which is the founder of Animus one of the most important uh, coaching schools and centers for coaching here in uh, the UK. And uh, we had an incredible interview and a great conversation because uh, he managed to create a business now where he can uh, almost completely step out of it. In fact, he's going to, he bought a houseboat and he's going to start traveling around his houseboat. And uh, the conversation is not going to be around the houseboat, but the conversation is around how do you start a coaching, training, consulting businesses and you scale it up to a multi-million company and in a way that you can step back where the company is not about you. Now, there is all this uh, conversation about uh, having a personal brand and importance of having a personal brand. Now, as you know, I believe is crucial um, because that's how we have been. We are building GTEx and we have been building GTEx. But then uh, it's also important to understand that that's not the end game. And that's also what we're going to talk about in this interview. Where do you use a personal brand? To what point? Where do you use a company brand? And to what extent? Uh, it's incredibly interesting. So make sure you listen to the interview. Uh, you will absolutely love it. If you haven't subscribed to the show, make sure you uh, subscribe and uh, you will see also the link of our website where you can find the bullet points of uh, um, the, the major learnings uh, that the major points that we discuss with Nick. So you can have like a bite-sized chunks of, <laughs> of information there after you listen to the show. Now it's time to start the music and uh, enjoy the show with Nick Bolton, how to live the real four-hour workweek. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this exclusive interview with the one and the only, aka the sexy beast, uh, <laughs> Bolton, uh, founder of Animus. How are you doing, Nick, today? Yeah, really good, thank you. Very, very good, Simone. Oh, fantastic. Welcome, welcome. I can see you guys. Uh, you are watching in. So immediately, can you please uh, write uh, uh, what would you like to get out from today? Let's get things started. Let us know because... Uh, I just put dignity there. Dignity. <laughs> That's right, dignity, and that'll be me done for the evening. <laughs> I think uh, I think I will do my best to, to let you know dignity. Um, I, I will not be too tough, I promise. Ah, good. Uh, I w- want to know, guys, what would you like to get out from today? Because uh, it, this is an incredible interview that uh, we are doing with Nick, and we want to make it as interactive as possible. So the more you will participate, the more you will get out. So don't be shy in uh, writing comments. It will be about 30 minutes plus uh, another 15 minutes of Q&A. And uh, if you're watching the replay again, welcome to the replay. Thank you very much for joining us. So, Nick, uh, it, we're talking about the, the four-hour, living the real four-hour work week. Mm. Before we get into the topic, why did we choose this title? Let's, let's work, start from there. Oh, I'll tell you why, because you and I were chatting about my move to living on a canal boat with with my wife and stepping back from operationally being a CEO. And I I happened to mention that um, the the influence influencing me over the last maybe, I don't know how long, 10, 12, 13 years or whatever, was Timothy Ferris's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which when I first read it, I was really inspired by it, as I think a lot of people were. but like a lot of people, I didn't have the context in which to immediately apply those ideas or to or to make it happen. And um and then I look and then sometimes it goes into your mind unconsciously, it just sort of hovers there, and you don't know you're necessarily pursuing a particular end, but somehow it's influencing you. And this concept called the four hour work week influenced me. And I sort of look back and go, oh my goodness, all the time at some level I was moving towards it even though I wasn't deliberately moving towards it and and so hence the name it's, it's more of a sort of a a little nod to Timothy that's uh, I mean uh, I've been following uh, Tim Ferriss for uh, for a while uh, that was actually one of the first books that got me to think about entrepreneurship mm. and uh, getting started as well 
Um, let me know, guys, in the comment. Have you read the book, The Four Hour Workweek? Uh, let me know, yes, if you've read it, no, if you haven't read it. Um, so then I we see if you have some context. But it's a great book that gets you thinking about how can you have a great business and a great life at the same time? And in particular, how can you have a business which is not dependent on you? Mm -hmm. But now we are talking, I mean, here in the room, I started as a coach, you started as a coach. Mm -hmm. The, and trainer people here are training uh, some of you guys are training to become coaches with animus some of you maybe have already completed your diploma and the different courses but how can we create then as coaches as trainers as consultants a business that doesn't involve us because it you know it's not like a tech business <laughs> it's a different kind of a field right sure sure um, so, so there's a few things. First of all, what do I mean by four hour? By the way, I don't really think of this as a four hour work week business. It, it's just that it was a, it was a, a sense the energy that, that influenced me and pervaded a lot of what I did unconsciously. But in reality, I want to make it a zero hour work week. That's my, that's my real plan. I think Timothy was giving too much of his time to his business. Um, but I say that jokingly, but it's sort of partly true. Um, uh, and, and so what do I mean by it? Well, I don't mean passive income. What I mean is creating a system in which your humility and your lack of ego allows you not to be the center of it. I think, I think a lot of people, if they're really honest with themselves, would have to admit that part of the reason for having a business is to help themselves feel better about who they are in the world. And the minute they start to lose the sense that they are the ones showing up, that somehow they feel like they're losing something, they're losing something that makes them feel important. I weirdly never felt that. I, I always... Indeed, I was very deliberate in making my business from day one, not about Nick Bolton. It was never Nick Bolton's program for this or Nick Bolton's school of coaching. It was always, first of all, the smart school of coaching was my first version. And then five years later, Animas Center for Coaching came along. Um, but both of them were very deliberately positioning me not as the head of, I just happened to be the person that created it at the start, but always with some intention of, of deep you know, depersonalizing it and take myself out of it. So that's number one thing is to is to create a brand that doesn't, you know, pull you into it by its very nature. You know, the Simone Vincenzi school of life is going to need Simone Vincenzi there if it's going to be credible, whereas the 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 anima school of life doesn't. So I think that's that's one thing. The rest of it is kind of the journey, Simone. I mean, that's what this interview is going to be about, isn't it? It's the journey. It's the patience. It's the rigor. It's the determination. It's the trust. It's the it's the it's the going with your gut. It's the jumping and 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 knowing that even if you hit the ground, you'll survive. It's trusting other people and knowing that some will let you down, but but some will thrive. It's sticking with them long enough to let them thrive, letting people go. It's like all of that, and no doubt, over the next half an hour, we'll dive into that. But that's the journey. It's like, can you survive long enough? to build the systems and the cash, which by the way is one of the most crucial things you can have is cash. Can you build the systems and the cash such that you can build this life you want? If you can't sustain it long enough to get to that point and put the work in hour after hour after hour after hour, if you can't do that, that's fine, but you probably won't get to a business that you can step out of. And that's okay. It's just about knowing what you really want and what you're prepared to give for it. That's a very good point. Uh, in particular, you mentioned the journey. We're going to tap into the journey in a moment. Uh, just wanted to say hi to everyone uh, that may join, join, join just now. Um, Peter is actually reading. Peter Ridley is uh, reading it for our work week at the moment. Trisha said that he's on her list to read. Um, but uh, uh, Natalie hasn't read it yet. Uh, then uh, Chris said, uh, Chris Shepard, that they uh, started reading it a couple of years ago and stopped after about 40 pages. <laughs> if I redesign my corporate job, if I finish it, I feel like I'm I'm ready now to read it until the end. <laughs> so that was that's the right moment. Jonathan Hammond said, awesome book. Absolutely great to see you, Jonathan. Um, Lucy said that he's also curious to know about your process of succession planning and how yeah, you will... Yeah step away, but signal who will be the public face mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and hold the organizational body going forward. Yeah, very nice. Very good point, Lucy. Thank you very much. And any other thing that you would like to get out from this interview, don't be shy. Write them in the comments because we will tackle them during the Q&A as well. And uh, I, I just say that this is a, a bit of like a, this interview is a bit controversial if you are looking at uh, the current trend. 
of the coaching speaking industry because uh, now everyone is telling you build a personal brand mm-hmm. build a brand which is based on yourself because people are people are buying you mm-hmm. but nick is saying no don't build a brand which is based on yourself otherwise you're a slave of that brand and you will always have to be involved um so i, what I, I, th- I think there's two points there simone i think one is what you want to do and one is and the other one is like what's the right move for where you're trying to get to in the long run and they're two different things like you can if if you actually will feed from having a personal brand then great build a personal brand even if you're not sure that's going to get you where you want to you will feed from it like a feast but if actually being that personal brand is going to deplete you then even if theoretically that personal brand concept gets you where you want to go you're going to be miserable as you get there i'm not a personal brand kind of person i'm just not I just never wanted to be a personal brand. I, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly like uh, wanting to be in the background. Even though I've had to be in the foreground to achieve my aims, I want to be in the background. So, so it suits my aims both ways. Number one is to not be a personal brand. Number two, to get to a point where my business can survive without me. So it was, it was a win-win for me. But you need to kind of figure out for yourself, what's the journey that's going to make you happy now, but also where you're trying to get to that will make you happy? And how, how do those two bits marry together? Uh, I'm curious to know, guys, that you're listening, uh, wh- what what kind of person are you like? Are you the kind of person who likes and thrives being in the center of attention, like <clears throat> myself, for example? Um, <laughs> or uh, are you more uh, like Nick and saying, actually, I want to create a company which is uh, doesn't have to be about me because I don't like all the eyes to be pointed on me all the time. Actually, that's not giving me energy by the, by the way Samantha, it's not just that either it's not just about the eyes pointing at me it's not about um, not wanting to be the center of attention it's actually not believing i deserve to be and i don't mean that i deserve to be less than other people i just think that everybody has something that enables them to shine my the way i see entrepreneurship for myself not in general as a universal thing but for myself is to create the conditions in which the right people who become part of my circle are able to shine for themselves i don't i it's not that i'm shy of being looked at i just don't think i've got anything so special to say compared to other people so therefore i'd rather create the conditions in which people can say stuff that that resonates with the audience it's not just what i'm thinking or saying that that's uh it's really important Uh, so everyone can understand okay how can i start building that what's the kind of mindset because let's talk about the journey now that and that's where it starts because it's a mindset shift that people need to have so how did it start from you from uh, the moment Well, well i won't go into um the the super detail of it all but i i i, I kind of I, unusually for me i actually did some notes um for this just because i felt there are a few people i've never spoken about this before publicly so there aren't the usual tropes i can fall back on this is all kind of very fresh so i thought to myself what's the evolution of my role within within my own school and when i first started i was the creator the strategist the administrator and the provider i did all of it i was the bookkeeper i was the trainer i was the salesperson i was the presenter i was you know i created the course i i facilitated the website creation, et cetera, et cetera. Over time, I dropped the administration part. I became the creator, the strategist, and the provider. So I was still training. Uh, people still enjoyed being, training, being trained by me. There wasn't somebody who yet replaced me fully, but I was no longer doing the enrollments and bookkeeping and stuff. And then I shifted probably about two years ago into the what I would call the creator strategist, where I wasn't doing almost any training anymore. I was doing very little speaking apart from when I fancied speaking. The only thing I was still doing was the introduction day, um, which was, if you like, our, our kind of uh, our stall for people to join us or, or not, as the case may be. And I see my future role being the investor and the chairman. So the final shift has been away from all of that stuff because it's been created. I want the team to now be creators of anything new. Um, but I'm the investor and the chairman, which means I have an oversight of where's the company going? Is it is it working, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's been a, an evolution. You know, it takes time. And I think that's the critical thing is to recognize that you give things up a little piece at a time. And many years ago, one of the very first and best business books I read was a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, in which he talks about creating an organizational chart and then replacing yourself from the bottom up. So ultimately, you're only there at the top as the CEO or the chairman or whatever. But if, you, if you're cleaning the office, at some point, you're better off getting a cleaner than carrying on cleaning the office. So you start at the lowest level jobs and replace yourself bit by bit by bit. And again, this is one of those books that perhaps more consciously than Timothy Ferris has influenced me, but unconsciously too. Like I've been obsessive around replacing myself where I'm not needed. And one of the, one of the interesting things for me, a real shift for me became when I 
I, I was still doing the introduction days until about, I don't know, six months ago, perhaps, maybe even more. And I was on the tube to do my uh, to do an introduction day. And, uh, and I was really not feeling it. I was like, my energy for this is one out of 10 in terms of being in this room today and talking about what I do, et cetera. And I thought, right, this is my last one. And I walked into the the training room or the, into the introduction room and said, hey, guys, you're the very last people I'll ever do this with. Actually, they weren't, but I thought at that time they would be, but they nearly were. Uh, and at the time, I seen, my team said to me, Nick, you can't give up. Like, nobody can do the introduction day like you can do it. And I said, in that case, we've got a problem. My business is, is broken if we can't replace me because it means that it, it's like it's so reliant on me, the human being, if I can't be replaced, that it's literally not a real business, uh, not in my mind anyway. And so um, and I didn't believe I was irreplaceable, not at all. I actually believe wholeheartedly. It's funny how other people thrust at you this yeah. idea that you're irreplaceable when you know you are replaceable. At least I have the humility to know I'm utterly replaceable, apart from by Danny, who's next door. Like she doesn't want to replace me, but anyone else can replace me. And I knew that. And I knew if I could just, like, even if they're only 80% as good as me, that would be fine for, for me to have the freedom and to create a scalable business. And it's just one of those moments you have to know yourself. Like what's important to me here? Is it being the very, very best or is it being good enough for the business to thrive and to release me to do what I really want to do? in the long run and that was that was my kind of final point where I went, this is me out of it and by the way i say all of this with no um it, it can sound like i'm wanting to be out of animas because animas doesn't it, it's like there's something wrong with, no not at all i just think as an entrepreneur there's a point where you feel like you've you've given what you need to give yeah. you know I'm a, I'm a creative person and i feel like i've given what i need to give to animas in its current form so now i'm looking at these other things like the somatic school uh, uh, the, uh, the facilitators academy. These are where I can now stretch my imagination and my creativity again. But I don't. I'm not needed for running what already works. That's how I see it. This is a very powerful what you're saying. And in fact, Chris is uh, saying also so true. Perfect is the enemy of good enough. Sure. And and I just want to pick some key beliefs here because uh, in the coaching and speaking field or in the coaching and mentoring field we can all see that it all starts from there we can all start from the beliefs and values that you have and uh, there are some beliefs that you hold that are really important if someone wants to set up the company in that way yeah which one is uh, i'm replaceable yeah the first thing you need to believe about yourself and, and celebrating that and that's uh, great that you are mm. replaceable yeah Secondly, is the fact of creating a system that can replace you. So working more on the business, as Michael Gerber says in the e-myth, rather than in the business. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough, actually, my very first business training has been the Dreaming Room with Michael Gerber. Wow. So I was already thinking about from, I was very lucky. No one told me you need to be in the business. The first mm -hmm. one, you need to create something that... Uh, can be bigger than yourself and needs to be bigger than yourself. And then the third thing that you said, which is a really key belief, uh, is the fact that uh, you arrive to a point where you've given what you had to mm -hmm. give. Yeah. And now it's about other people to give what they have to give. Yeah. To can you expand a bit more on that? Well, uh, yes, only in as much as I, I, I feel like you've got to be in tune with yourself and honest. I'm brutally honest in some ways with yourself because I think that the risk is that if you start a business, it becomes a prison because we're so afraid of losing what we give up by not having it or by risking its failure, which let's face it, anytime you create a change, there's a risk involved. Um, so I think you, I think that's the number one thing is like you've got to be willing to face that and be true to yourself and, and acknowledge the feelings I've got now for what I'm doing is no longer coming from the same place of love, passion, commitment, vibrancy, etc. And the only reason why I continue to do that without those feelings is because I'm scared of not doing it. And that isn't a good place to live from for me. If, you, if the only reason why you're remaining in business as the operator is because of the fear of what happens if somebody else is delegated to or somebody else steps up and becomes a public face or whatever it might be, that's a place of fear that I just don't want to live my life from. You know, I'm 49, 50 next year. I've got about 50 years left. I don't want to spend them in a place of fear. Absolutely not. So I would say that there's a time and a place for this. Like, I don't think we should rush towards it. I, I, I nearly stepped out too soon 
a couple of years ago when I first met you, I think, in 2016, I was on the verge of sailing around the world on the Clipper race and I paid my deposit and I spoke to Robert, Robert Stevenson, our director of training about maybe heading up the business. And then about four months into that, I went, what are you doing, Nick? The business isn't ready. Rob's not ready. I'm not ready. It was, I, I'm, I tried to rush it. And so another two years of application has got to the point where now it's ready. Rob's ready. I'm ready. The business is ready. So the thing about tasting and, and knowing that the, the, the system is ready for you, but at the same time, being brave enough to finally go, now's the time. Is there something that, is there a clue like for you? Okay. What was the clue for you that told you now is ready? Now that's interesting. Uh, I don't know is the answer. I would say that there are a number of things. And one was that I didn't feel that the my input was exponential enough anymore as an entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs are exponential people. You know, well, we I start like from exponential, by the way. Yeah, really uh, yeah of course, of course you do. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, my company is called Growing Together Exponentially. So that's why. <laughs> it must have sublimely. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, business owners, we start things from scratch. Entrepreneurs start things from scratch. It's funny because I watch, oh, no, that's not fair to say that. I was going to say I watch um, Dragon's Den. I always, I always poo-poo Tej Levani because he took over his business. He didn't start it, but it's probably unfair. I don't know the guy. I don't know his business. But you know, I, I think entrepreneurs, we start things from scratch. And we, we take something from zero. In my case, I sold my old canal boat 10 years ago for £15,000 on the verge of bankruptcy. And I turned that £15,000 into Animas and, and a new life. That's what entrepreneurs do. And I think there's a point where you feel like what you're doing is so incremental in its impact that it's no longer satisfying. You'd rather be out of it totally or somewhere else. And that's how I feel right now is I just feel like my energy needs to, I don't know, like a bamboo, the bamboos do this, but kind of draw back into myself for another stage of growth. And when that stage of growth will come, I don't know. But I feel like all my input now is so incremental that it, it, it doesn't need me. And I'm holding back my team from being the people who really do that in, incremental growth because they're still looking to me going like, Nick, is this a, is this a good idea? Like, let's do it, you know? Find out, figure out, <laughs> find yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yannick and Laura made the two great comments. So guys, hang on because uh, we are going to, in 10 minutes, to start a Q&A part where Nick is going to answer those questions. So- It's pretty fast, by the way, isn't it? 20 minutes in already, you do realize that it's flying by. I know, the, the time flies when we have fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> so guys make sure you keep writing this question in uh, because some of them are going to be answered organically uh, in, in this part but other than that we will get them answered in the Q&A part so make sure you keep writing them so Yannick and Laura you are next in the Q&A part so stay there uh, so you mentioned uh, the fact that uh, it took uh, uh, it took a while and there was a moment that you know when it was uh, mm -hmm. when it was right to shift how long uh, was the entire process for you? For how long have you been running Animas now? Well, I wouldn't say that's the. I wouldn't say that's the time frame we should look at. The time frame is when I first started a business at all, which was two thousand, and I started a conference business in the public sector, and that's where I introduced my own style of coaching. And then in two thousand and eight, I started um, my first coaching school. And then in 2013, I started Animas. So it's been an 18-year journey. I definitely think I could have made it much shorter had I learned more sooner, had I learned from mentors. There's so much I could have done sooner had I not been such a, a lone wolf, which is my natural, my natural tendency, is just to kind of figure stuff out myself and not worry about what other people teach me. In latter years, I've learned actually mentors are phenomenally important and they've fundamentally shifted how I've done business. But, you know, live and learn. So, yeah, I mean, in, in reality, I would say that if you take, it's hard to extract Animas from the smart school because when Animas started in 2013, it already had a head of steam from the, the smart school. The so it wouldn't be, exactly, it wouldn't be fair to say it took five years. But I would say, realistically, seven years was, was the real time frame had I kind of just, if I look at it like that. You mentioned uh, not to look at the life of um, uh, of Animus or the other business you had before, but to look at the life of the, yourself as yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you say that? Sorry? Why did you say that? Why is that? Uh, oh, because it was so important to say, actually, don't, don't look at just this. Look at this. Of course, because you take in all the intellectual assets, the skills assets, etc., from your previous stuff. I mean, funny enough, I was a bank manager, I was a financial commission only financial advisor. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of things when I look back at my my 20s where I go, wow, that actually taught me a lot. Even at the time, I, I really didn't like it and I was a very bad employee. Um, I, I, you know, 
I, I still think that was part of my journey. But in true terms, my entrepreneurship came in 2000. And you can't really separate the skills you learn along that way. You know, it's like those 18 years were all part of the same journey. It just happened to be different manifestations that we call a business here and a business there. But, you know, fund, like I got in, I went insolvent twice with my first couple of businesses and you learn an unbelievable amount from that. Like I remember, you know, I, I was only 16,000 pounds before I started my first business and I went from 16 up to 105,000 profit in my first year. Um, and then I remember having 100 Sorry? That's not bad at all. Not bad at all, is it? Except for I had 110,000 in the bank and I thought that was my money, but it wasn't. <laughs> and so all of a sudden that 110,000 dropped to 20,000. I thought, where did that go? And I ended up in 27,000 pound debt to the corporate corporation tax. And, you know, you learn such ludicrous lessons along the way, but it's all part of that journey. So I can't really say, had I not had that first 13 years, my, my final five years would be the same. Almost certainly they wouldn't. It's so it's so true, and getting me to think about all the lessons that we had with GTEx as well. You know, I think that you can learn entrepreneurship from a book, you can learn entrepreneurship from a course, but it's when you really run a business, when you are in these moments where you have to negotiate with HMRC because you cannot pay the bill that month, or you're applying for a last-minute loan because you have the corporation tax mm -hmm. month and. Been a bit stupid with the money mm. and not put the money aside, uh, uh, yeah. or maybe just needed that money for the taxes to live. And the, and and this choice was: do I eat and pay my rent, or do I pay taxes? Well, I eat and pay yeah, my yeah. rent. I have to pay taxes. Uh, but these are the things that make you, as you say, as an entrepreneur. So yeah. I want to start uh, now because we have the we have questions like flooding here like crazy. So. Before we do the Q and A, can I? Before we do the Q and A, can I just? Can I just say a couple, of, a couple of things I really think are important um, that I would love to make sure the guys hear from me this evening? Because, you know, having talked about 18 years as a business person, I would say there are some key lessons I've learned, which if I could leave people with, I really want them to get. And, and, and they're really br brutal messages, but they're important ones. And number one is cash matters. The, 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 the biggest thing I learned through running a business was you can't do anything without cash. And make sure it's your cash, by which I mean, if it's the HMRC's cash and you're just hanging on to it until corporation tax pay time, it's not your cash. Don't spend it. But what I'm talking about is making sure that everything in your business produces cash appropriate to the value you give. I'm not talking about charging too much for what you do. I'm not talking about ripping people off. I'm talking about making sure you charge a good rate for what you do and making sure that the cash that comes in from that you keep in the business rather than take it out and spend on cars or diamonds or whatever else nonsense that people want to spend money on keep the cash in the business i cannot tell you how important it is people often say the first step in building a big business is growing a team no it's not because if you can't pay the team salaries you, you're going nowhere you need cash and i really want to say that like for all of you listening if you're serious about building a business keep the cash in the business if you look at you by the way you can go to company's house and you can download the balance sheets of companies uh, I download often my competitors to see where we're at from a, from an assets perspective. Uh, Animas, along with the coaching academy, is one of the biggest because I've kept the cash in the business. I've, they might be doing better than me, worse than me, but either way, the cash isn't in the business. So either they're drawing it out and spending it or they're not making it, but it's not there. I believe that my desire to live a frugal life, living in Folkestone in a one-bed flat only two years ago, was precise because I felt that it was important to keep the business strong before I thought about my own lifestyle. And I was, you know, Simon Sinek's eat, Leaders Eat Last. That was me. I was paid the least of all my team just two years ago. But I knew that in the long run, it would pay off. Getting cash in your business is the most important thing you do. And I'm really sorry it sounds such a brutal message, but it's true. Second thing is once you got the cash, begin to trust that, uh, that, that building a team it's going to pay off. I spoke to a friend very recently who was saying she cannot um, delegate because people let her down. I said, fine, get rid of them. But but at some point, you need to stick with somebody and you give them long enough to have successes. If you really believe they've let you down too badly too soon, fine, let them go. But if, you, if they've let you down a bit, hang on to them. They will grow and grow and grow with you. But I would say cash and team are the two most crucial things you can do to make a business work as a substantial thing rather than as a, a sole practice. It's really basic, Simone, but it's so important, cash and team. And you've got to have the willingness to lose cash by having a team that lets you down compared to if you did it all yourself, because in the long run, it'll pay off. That's me done. I think you say simple, but not um, a lot of people that in particular in the coaching industry, because, you know, we mentor coaches starting their own businesses. And yeah. GDEX, 
And uh, the majority of people that come to us, uh, they're people that uh, they got into coaching, they got into speaking or in consulting because they wanted to make an impact, not necessarily because they wanted to run a business first. And then uh, they got into the idea, oh, well, what if I actually can make an impact and earn some money? And sometimes uh, actually the fact of giving and helping out which is the nature of a coach. That's why you are a coach, because you want to help and making this world a better place for people to live in and make an impact into the next generation and the current generation. So uh, it's not uh, money and cash is not always there like you would think in running a business. Mm-hmm. For me, it took, I think it took about three years before I understood the, the importance of it when mm-hmm. I lost my first business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, I went in the ATM cash machine and I put my card in and the ATM took the card because company house closed my company automatically because I haven't paid taxes for two years. Um, mm-hmm. That's another story. But uh, that uh, is uh, where I've learned, actually, yeah. I'm in business. I'm not a charity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what you said is uh, as simple as it sounds. It's so important for people to hear. <laughs> Fundamental. And I, I would say, had I not done the simple thing of raising my price, course price, which was a big, like, was a big deal for me emotionally. I, I don't mean I was like, but I was like, oh my God, what if this doesn't work? Raising my price brought cash in. That gave me the security to make some really important choices. I, fundamental game changer more than anything else I've done. Brilliant. Shall we, shall we start with some questions, Nick? Are you Perfect. ready? So we got we got a few a few here. Uh, I'm gonna start with uh, with Yannick, which is uh, so if, because we have few. If we can uh, answer like a quite like sh- straight to the point answer, so then we can go through through all of them. <laughs> uh, because every answer can take as as much or as little as to us. Okay. So uh, Yannick says I'm about to start a business where I'm not the central point of the service delivery, early yeah. stages, and getting the team together at the moment. Ideally, I'd like to be the guy with the idea and involving creative direction and building relationships. The image manager, for example, is something I have to force myself to be, but I'm also struggling with letting go of control and trust people mm-hmm. to adhere uh, my quality of standards. Mm-hmm. How does Nick deal with letting others take over? I, I would say that the key for me has been letting the market be the best arbiter of that, not me. I don't think many entrepreneurs ever feel that anyone does the job as well as they do. But am I getting complaints? Am I getting cancellations? The people tell me the quality's gone down. If not, then I have to trust that it's good enough. Now that might not feel like the right answer for Yannick, but if Yannick wants a, and I know Yannick very well, if Yannick does want a substantial business with a number of trainers, he has to be willing, yes, to have quality assurance measures, yes, to do observations, yes, you know, we we use a robot called Swivel. Rob has a robot in, in Edinburgh and London and Berlin where he can then watch the trainers and then afterwards have dissection of the training, which is all recorded and put onto the cloud. That's the technique for how we do quality assurance, but the ultimate arbiter is not, me, the entrepreneur, but the market, my customers' feedback, and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so, it's, it's a, you said be short, so I apologize, but I'm just going to say one more thing, which is you've got to have the courage of your convictions. If you want something, Yannick, you know that you have to let go. So, at some point, you have to be courageous enough to do that letting go and let the chips fall where they do, whilst and, being as effective as you can be at controlling the falling of the chips. <laughs> sure. But there is a, a part two of the Yannick question which is uh, the Amy suggested to have very clear and bulletproof franchise instructions. Mm. I believe the business landscape changes consistently. How can we manage this without being involved? That's interesting. Like, I don't know the answer because this is, this is, a, this is a, a journey for, for me at this stage of my career. However, what I believe and what I'm doing is empowering my senior management team of four people. So instead of going, oh, I, I want an external CEO, I've empowered four people to have equal power in the organization with me as a chairman kind of figure rather than as a CEO figure. And they are all they all have a now financial stake involved in the business, which means that they will make decisions based on the long term and short term health of the business. And I have to trust that they are smart enough, given the freedom and the space to run to start making strategic choices that will work for the business and for me and for them and for our and for everybody that we deal with. Like, I've just got to trust that. The e-myth is, is about, yes, there's change that happens. The e-myth is never about setting out um, procedures and so on that are fixed in stone. They're about what works right now, but then having the adaptability 
of how we shift them, but why should I be the one that shifts them? Why not trust that the people I employ have the same level of quality thinking that I do if I encourage it, facilitate it, create the space for and reward it, which is important. That's brilliant. Um, Laura McAvoy, I hope I'm pronouncing your surname right, guys, or your names right. I have a very strong Italian accent, as you can hear, so uh, I'm sure I will scrub some of them, but don't take it personal. Uh, Laura says, asks, was your sole focus before this shift always the work? I'm assuming she's mean, uh, she means the work you're doing with your clients or the work with Animas. I, I guess she means the work with Animas. Um, yes, I would say it was for a long time. You know, I was a pretty obsessive entrepreneur, as most entrepreneurs are. I would work till two in the morning quite happily. I would say the big shift for me ultimately came by meeting my now wife that just made me go, is this still the life I want? Um, so yes, it was, and I never really lost that passion for it, but only once I lost that passion for doing that operational work did I say, okay, my time's come. I didn't have an urge to get it back. I didn't feel like, oh, where's it gone wrong? I must get it back. I was just like, no, it's that, that phase of my life has gone. So I think if that's what Laura's asking, then yes, it was on the work. It was very much, I would say I balanced it, Laura, between working in the business, as in what are we doing, et cetera, and working on the business, as in how are we making the business structure work? but I get most passionate about working on the business. So a lot of my time has always been spent on how is the system working? That's, thank you very much for the, for the answer. And uh, Nick, going to Nick Morley. Uh, hmm. Nick asks, uh, you have now learned how to build systems, hire hmm. great staff and create a business that people love. Yeah. That's a great, uh, already great uh, framework, great testimony okay. from <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Did it just happen or was that all part of the vision slash grand plan? Yeah, I don't know if you were there at the very start, Nick, but um, it, it, I would say I was unconsciously directed by some of the literature I read, like the E-Myth, like the four-hour work week. I would say it was unconscious. More, I, I didn't have a 10-year plan to leave the business. I just didn't. In fact, I never, to be honest, I never thought I'd leave the business. But I, at the same time, I was unconsciously moving towards the unconsciously consciously and unconsciously, moving towards a place of empowering systems and teams and people to do the work for me. It actually what was interesting is I got to a point where I'd, I'd, I'd achieved that so well that I suddenly went, what's my point? Like, what's my point here? Not as a human being, but what's left for me to do? I really felt that. I was like, I kind of felt like I was scratching around trying to find things to do and, and slightly being an annoyance. I need, now, to, find, I need to find something. Yeah, to kind do. of. Now, I am a very good critical thinker. So if you ask my team, I, I think they would agree with me that I actually do give a lot of value by looking at what they're doing and encouraging them to change it or challenge them, etc. But there's only so much you think of that you can do before you stifle their ability to do it for themselves. Yeah. And I felt like I was becoming a stifler rather than an enabler. And so it was time for me to go. But it wasn't my long-term plan, Nick. But, one, but I think at one level, I did want to get to that point of freedom to some degree. Thank you very much. And now Peter Ridley uh, says, Hi, Nick. My inspiration is to build a financially viable coaching business where I can live and work around the world. I'm committed to achieving this. And when I do, I can't, Im um, I can't image, imagine, okay. imagine wishing to retire from that life. The, from that life. Before our work week, we focus on enabling people to remove themselves from their business. Whereas at this moment, at age 29, I have no desire to do this. I'd be interested in uh, hearing your, to hear your thoughts. <laughs> nice. Well, at the age of 29, I hadn't even started my first business yet. And, and had somebody said to me, you'll be interested in retiring from your business, I would go, no way. <laughs> like, I've just started. What are you talking about? At the age of 49, 20 years later, I feel ready. I can't say more than that. I think you just, it's like I said at the start, you've got to tune into what's real for you. If you think that you don't want to retire and you don't feel like retiring, don't do it. There's no law that says that. A lot of people say you should always build a business to sell. I never had that desire. Now, it could be that, that I'm wrong on that and one day I'll go, oh my God, I should sell this. But I, I never felt that and I still don't feel that. But I do feel like I want to retire from being operational. So then the thing is, how do I create a business that sustains my team, who I love, I really care about, genuinely care about them as human beings? How do I sustain, uh, create a business that sustains my customers? And how do I contribute to the profession that I am part of as a, as a school? All whilst allowing me to step out. That's, that's a win-win for where I am in my life right now. And it could be that that changes 
and I, I suddenly have this obsession about you know creating a new business where I'm deeply involved in the detail. Just right now, I don't feel it. I think tune into what's real for you and then follow it. So, Peter, if that's how you are for the rest of your life, great. Like one of the things I've noticed is I, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, but it was watching Gary's Gary Vaynerchuk's incessant energy, which I love, but made me realize I'm not him. I, I I don't think I'm a born and bred entrepreneur. I think being an entrepreneur for me was was an 18 year journey that gave me enough meaning to be purposeful until I got to a point of cash richness that I can make other choices for me. That's how I feel. I feel like, yeah, I'm ready not to be an entrepreneur now. I don't define myself by that in the way that Gary does so naturally. And I don't think I am a natural born in the, like born in the, what's the word? Born in whatever, born and bred entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> I think I created enough of a story around it for myself to, to be meaningful and effective to get me to a point in life where I had other choices. And that's where I feel I am right now. Uh, thank you for the answer. And uh, if you don't mind, if I can add something, because uh, I'm 30. Uh, so I started my first business actually when I was 22. That was nice. when I started that, that first business. And um, it, it's a process where you evolve. The more you grow into the business and the more you run the business, the more you redefine a new role for yourself. Uh, if you are looking at what Nick also shared at the beginning of the interview, he said he started in one way, being doing everything, and then he removed himself from the accounting, and then removed himself from something else. But it was a process that uh, was starting with the idea, I'm going to remove myself, but it didn't from the beginning. And there are some people that are really happy in working their business and being hands-on, and because that's where they thrive. Yeah. There are some people that are really happy just creating the system and then letting it go, and that's mm -hmm. where they thrive. So. Peter, you will find your zone of genius. Um, start and then things will unfold. Uh, that's what I would love to say on that. If I give you a little story on that very briefly, I, I, I had a lunch with a, one of the country's most successful coaches, not the most successful coach, and he said to me that he briefly had a mentor who tried to help him create a system that enabled it to, to replace himself as a coach. And he said, why would I want to do that? I'm a coach. I don't want to have products and books. I'm a coach. That's yeah, where I get my... I think I know you are talking about. <laughs> and he said, I don't want, I want to coach. That, yes. That's what he wants to do. I'm not that person anymore right now, but that's life. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Sue Hashwell uh, is asking, uh, uh, what would be the three things that, that you wish you had done in 2000 that would have made a difference? What difference uh, would you have wanted to make? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and maybe other human beings too don't tend to ask what if questions, but I can answer that to be honest, at least to some degree. I'm not sure about three, but the biggest thing was that very early in my business, I got a contract with a Shelter, the big charity, you know, the homelessness charity to run a series of conferences all the way from Glasgow down to London with all these big names. And, and it was like hugely profitable for me in one month. We did like 70,000 profit, which in my, you know, my new business. And the, the director of Shelter at the time didn't even ask me, could I fulfill the project? He just said, oh, Nick, would you do this? And I went, yeah, of course. So then I had to hire people. Um, but, but I actually made less profit my second year on the back of that than I did in my first year because I hired a team and they cost me a lot of money, as teams do. And I didn't know how to persist with that and break through that initial cost side of things. And so in retrospect, I wish I could have educated myself on being an entrepreneur sooner such that I could have hung on to that team and and made that business successful but then i wouldn't have animas so there's no point asking what if questions but i get sue's question it's like what should she be learning now that will serve her number one is learn about business number two learn about how you if, if you're interested in this kind of business i built as in a, a non-soul practitioner business learn how to build a team and learn to suck up the loss that creates in the first instance because it will pay you back in the long run yeah but it will suck up it will cost you at first and it's painful at first and you don't get the right people at first and you make these mistakes at first. But if you don't push through, you'll never get a proper business because you'll never get a team. Yep. Oh, and that's the second thing I would say is absolutely categorically charge enough money to make the business cash rich because that will change your life, your business's life, your customer's life, your team's life forever. Now, just to, to give you a cliffhanger, guys, we are going to talk, uh, uh, we are going to do another interview uh, for this series on the 13th, which is going to be next Tuesday, on uh, how to build a coaching business. This is a how do you build. Now, we are, today we're talking how do you scale. 
Now, next interview, we're going to talk about how you build. So we're going to talk pricing. We are going to talk structure. We're going to talk strategy. So make sure that you register for the next one. We'll send you a link if you haven't registered yet. Uh, got one more question from Sue, and then we can uh, work towards wrapping up this interview. Uh, the, the next question that she asked is that, what did you do, if anything, that was a complete waste of energy? I love this question. <laughs> I don't think I can think of anything. And I mean that genuinely. Um, like I'm very good. I like I wouldn't con consider it a waste of energy. I'm very good at experimenting. In fact, one of my lessons I, I wanted to share was to experiment with without attachment. I think I'm very good at that. I'm very good at trying something. If it works, pursue it and grow it. If it doesn't, let it go. I don't consider that a waste of energy, and I can't think of specific incidents that that, that would apply to that. So, I mean, there's plenty of things I've done that haven't worked, but I don't consider them waste of energies. Um, so, I, I, honestly, I don't think that's – I would say experiment in an unattached way, and it will never be a waste. You'll just learn, and some will work and some won't, but it will never be a waste. I mean, I really mean – that's not some trendy self-help, you know, answer. That's real. It really is real. I just don't think of it as a waste ever. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing, Nick. Um, uh, just to give you also a good feedback, what I would love to do, guys, if you can share in the comments what was your biggest learning so far, because we are going, we are working towards wrapping up. So if you can share what was the biggest learning that you got from this interview so far, um, uh, <laughs> we need more than half an hour. That's the learning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we need to have five hours uh, with dinner included. <laughs> Get your cup of tea ready. So Nick is saying, uh, I was really taken with what you had to say at the introduction day, and this encouraged me to sign up. I will never forget your real advice when you said it. It's all well in learning the skill of coaching, but also you need to learn how to run a business. And uh, I, I can say, guys, that that because I came from coaching, I became a life coach as well, and uh, the problem for me was that I never ran a business before. And it became very difficult to understand how the industry works, how to get clients. And one thing is to be skilled at something. One thing is to be a great business owner or entrepreneur. They are two different skills that now you have, you have to merge somehow. Yeah. So that's what I would love to say here. And then Tim uh, is asking about uh, um, this problem is about getting clients. We are going to talk about getting clients in the next interview. So we will have extensive time to talk about clients acquisition strategy and what can you do. So make sure, Tim, that you register for, for next week for next week's interview. Uh, Nikki, any final thoughts uh, on, uh, um, on um, so I, I put together I put together very briefly five qualities I think are needed for this kind of shift towards this kind of business. And very super briefly, they are patience. I mean it's taken me 18 years to get to this point. And by the way, when I was doing those 18 years, I wasn't like, come on, get to this point where I can, you know, move on. So so patience, but it's a constructive patience, not not giving up on the aim. Uh, so the persistence to grow the business, non-attached experimentation. I really believe that's super important and um, belief in what you're trying to do and what you stand for. And finally, and this is the one I think most people don't really get is humility to know you don't matter. Uh, and I think I think if more business people understood that they as an individual don't matter, then they would be freed to make the choices they want to make in life. And I think that's the one thing I've always had is like, I don't believe I matter that much. I don't think I'm that special as a coach, as a trainer, as a business owner. When people say, Nick, you're a great entrepreneur, I'm like, I'm really, really not. Like, like nobody's asked me to be on Dragon's Den as an investor. You know, Richard Branson has never come knocking on my door. I'm an incredibly average entrepreneur. And I'm okay with that. It's, brought, it's, made, it's made a great life for me. I think if we can just be a bit more humble about our place in the world, it frees us up to make choices that are much more true for us instead of trying to live to some ego we're building. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Nick. And uh, also, uh, any if you can uh, share any thoughts about uh, the, the partnership that we are doing, because we the reason why we're one of the reason why we are doing this interview, guys. Is also because uh, uh, we help uh, coaches to start to successful businesses, and uh, we have uh, met with Nick for a few years. We've been in the same radar, and uh, then we decided uh, also to, to help you out to start a partnership where we can help you out and help your business out. 
So can you give a few words around it? For me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the, I mean, here's an interesting thing, un unattached experimentation. I, I've struggled to build the structure that supports coaches to build businesses because I'm the only one in my business that really knows business. So I ran a mentoring group for about four years, um, around about 12 people. But when you think we're training 400 people a year, 12 is pretty meager. Uh, and I recognized that I needed to scale it. So we tried to make me, take me out of it and build a system for that. Um, and it flopped. You know, well, it didn't flop because the product was bad or because I just don't think the heart was in it of the people involved because it, it wasn't me driving it. It was a pe people who weren't really significantly business oriented. And so I've often felt frustrated around how do we support our coaches to have a business? Uh, and I've, I've come to the conclusion it's better to partner with people who offer different services who can then who they can go to without any suggestion. It's the right choice, but at least they know but we're signposting. So that's my current strategy is to build partnerships with people like self Simone who offer different things that people can just explore, you know, no, no hard selling. Let's just like, let's just put them in front of you because they can make choices then. Cause I just don't think Animas has the wherewithal to deliver business support. And yet that's what coaches need once they qualify. And that's what we have built with GTEx. Uh, so we're going to send you guys also an email to register to one of our free training that we are doing. So then we can help you. Uh, grow your business. You can see if you like our methodology. The reason why Nick and I clicked well is because we have a very similar style. It's like no pressure. You test it out, check it out. If you like the way we do, if you see the way we can help you and you resonate, then great. We can keep working together. Otherwise, no hard feelings. Uh, we spend a day together or a webinar or a training, online training, and then you can see also the work that we do. Um, so you will receive an email uh, about that uh, in, the, in the next follow up. And what I want also to remind you is the interview that we are going to do on the 13th of, uh, uh, of November, still same time, 6 p.m. in the evening, UK time, if there is anyone uh, watching from another time zone. And we are going to talk about how do you build and do you start a coaching business? So how do you get clients? How do you choose the right pricing. You mentioned that money is important, finding the right pricing is important. So we're going to cover all that uh, next training. So guys, make sure that you register and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much, Simone. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, everyone. Bye, I'll see you next training. See you soon, bye-bye.